As we begin, I want to ask a question. When you hear the word surrender, what comes to mind? Maybe it's a college football team that rhymes with Cruskers that tends to consistently surrender games in the fourth quarter. Coming from a longtime Nebraska fan, I had to get that in there, but these jokes are not funny anymore. <laughs> when you think of surrender, maybe you think of a white flag on a battlefield signifying defeat. When you think of someone who, who does surrender, an individual who moves in that direction, maybe even yourself, you think of someone who is weak and fragile. I've preached a number of sermons this past year with the word win in the title. So you might think I perceive it as a sort of negative term, and you might be right. When you hear the word surrender, what comes to mind? As you consider your response, it probably should matter what you're surrendering and who you're surrendering to. I imagine a number of you have seen the recent blockbuster movie, Top Gun Maverick. If you have, you know there are a number of quotes or lines in that movie that, that stand out. And you may find yourself repeating some of them. Even if you haven't seen the movie, you may have heard the quotes. It's not the plane, it's the pilot. Meaning, even when you're overmatched, don't give up. Another, don't think, just do. Right? Don't overanalyze. Don't get paralyzed. Take a risk. Now, maybe when you're in a singing mood, having a bit more fun, you may remember and express, goodness gracious, great balls of fire. Many of the quotes in the movie emphasize perseverance, endurance, not giving up. But there is one line from the movie that is not spoken, that speaks to surrender. The main character, Maverick, he's struggling to lead the son of his beloved friend, Goose, if you remember the first movie. It's a man he lost in a training exercise, and he's struggling with the possibility of placing him in grave danger. He's trying to protect him, to keep him from harm, but his efforts are damaging his friend's son and damaging the mission. So Maverick meets up with his old enemy from the first movie, now friend Iceman. And he's typing words rather than saying words. For those that have not seen the movie, I won't tell you why. See the movie. Iceman is trying to help Maverick get over loss and stop playing the role of savior in the life of Goose's son. So he types, it's time to let go. Maverick argues, Iceman repeatedly points to the screen, it's time to let go. It's time to let go. He's telling Maverick, it's time to surrender your past pain. It's time to surrender how you're protecting Goose's son. It's a moment that speaks to the importance of surrender. Of course, it matters what you're surrendering and who you're surrendering to. God's people, we do not surrender to things like temptation. 
We do not surrender to adversity. We do not surrender souls to the enemy. It matters who and what you're surrendering to. But the reality is the disposition of surrender. Many struggle with it. We think of it being connected to weakness, a a symptom of fragility, a sign of defeat. Psalm 31 is going to invite us to consider the sweetness of such a disposition. How surrendering can be good. So the title of the sermon this morning is Sweet Surrender. In many ways, surrender is a defining mark of being a Christian. We surrender our lives. We surrender our friendships. We surrender our careers. Parents, we surrender our kids. If you own a home, you surrender how that home is used. It matters what we surrender and who we surrender to. So what types of situations does the author have in mind in Psalm 31? If you have a Bible or Bible app, go ahead and open it up to the passage read earlier, Psalm 31. And I'm going I'm to jump down to verse 4. There the author says, You will free me from the net that is secretly set for me, for you are my refuge. So the psalmist there is expressing feelings of being closed in on, feeling like there is no way out, like some enemy has set a trap. And the psalmist is describing how he has surrendered to the Lord when encountering such a situation. So the who the author surrenders to is the Lord. And this theme of surrendering when encountering an enemy, it will come up repeatedly in this psalm in indirect ways and clearly, very clearly, in at least verses 4, 8, 11, and 15. As the psalmist considers conflict with adversaries, we see that when facing obstacles, when encountering adversity, when facing a variety of enemies, God's people do not surrender to those things. We surrender to the Lord. So our our big idea this morning is God's people do not surrender to any enemy, but surrender to the Lord. So as we consider not surrendering to enemies, what are some of the enemies that you have encountered? And how do you relate to those enemies? I know not many of us will face an enemy on a battlefield like Maverick and Top Gun. Of course, we're in a military context, so some of you will or have as you serve or have served in the Air Force, in the Navy, in the Army, in the Marines. I think I got them all. But even if you have encountered an enemy like that, I think you know that may not be the most challenging one you'll encounter. Those that have not faced enemies on the battlefield certainly will encounter powerful adversaries in their own right. They will battle enemies you experience when your body is breaking down or when a loved one encounters an unexpected illness 
or when you have to say goodbye to someone you care about, or when you experience temptation to sin. They will encounter enemies that include worldviews that teach a rejection of God and His ways, leading others to abandon what Scripture has to say about marriage and sexuality, what it has to say about personal integrity and self-control, what it has to say about how we raise children or how we live graciously and generously in the broader community. Those enemies can make you feel alone or silly and stupid. Or if you tend towards pride, those enemies may lead you to feel arrogant and hard-hearted. Enemies can be people we work with who make false accusations about our conduct and character or, or who do not support us in difficult circumstances. Enemies can be people we go to church with people we have been friends with. Sometimes it's people who are part of our family who gossip or withdraw or who abandon us. God's people do not surrender to any enemy, but surrender to the Lord. So as we explore this big idea, we're going to consider two aspects of what it means to surrender to the Lord, what we surrender and how we surrender. We're going to briefly look at what we surrender, and then we're going to spend more time considering how we surrender. So let's start with what we surrender. Examining the first few verses of Psalm 31, we see that the psalmist is exalting the Lord. Lord, I seek refuge in you. Save me by your righteousness. Rescue me quickly. Be a rock of refuge for me. Be a mountain fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. You lead and guide me for your name's sake. This is how God's people surrender to the Lord. They affirm his goodness and greatness. So the what we surrender here is control. The psalmist is surrendering to the Lord the outcome of an encounter with a challenging enemy. Now that type of action, surrendering control when encountering a powerful enemy, it is not an easy thing to do. For the author of Psalm 31, the circumstances are so bleak. In verses 21 and 22, he compares it to living in a city under siege. Ian mentioned this earlier as we were singing. A city under siege has no military advantage. The people are starving. The people do not have access to supplies. They are cut off. The situation is dire and difficult. In such situations, it may seem like God has not come through. Destruction at the hands of an enemy is imminent. It is in this type of situation, one that is chaotic and desperate, the psalmist is surrendering control of an outcome with the enemy. God's people do not surrender to any enemy, but they surrender to the Lord. Of course, surrendering control of an outcome with an enemy, that is not the only thing God's people surrender. Let's read verses 9 through 13. Be gracious to me, Lord, because I am in distress. My eyes are worn out from frustration. 
my whole being as well. Indeed, my life is consumed with grief and my years with groaning. My strength has failed because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. I'm ridiculed by all my adversaries and even by my neighbors. I am dreaded by my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street run from me. I am forgotten, gone from memory like a dead person, like broken pottery. I have heard the gossip of many. Terror is on every side. When they conspired against me, they plotted to take my life. So encountering a powerful enemy, it will not just affect you intellectually. It will affect you emotionally. It will affect your demeanor. It impacts how your body functions. Several years ago, I encountered one of those situations. I experienced the type of emotions the psalmist is describing. It was a challenging moment, one of the darkest I have encountered. There was a a friend, even a bit of a mentor, frustrated with how I had engaged a particular context. It resulted in others getting involved. It seemed like My friend was an enemy, and it seemed like others were moving into that category too. You see, we sometimes feel like everyone is against us, even those closest to us, questioning our actions and questioning our motives. Encountering such a situation affected me to the point that my body took on the form of an enemy too. My pulse would race at the wrong time. I would tremble and shake in fear. I couldn't sleep at night. Christian, when you pursue righteousness, when you care about the discipleship of others, you will encounter all sorts of enemies, not just the ones common to every person in the world. You'll face those too. But but you will encounter some unique situations like I'm describing. Because when you step into discipling others in the Christian faith, when you step into caring about brothers and sisters in Christ, because you're loving people who are broken, you will be let down. Some of you will have people that you love, they will reject you, and they will reject what you teach or what you believe. That will be heartbreaking. You will come across people who reject the Lord in his ways, worldviews opposed to Christianity, forces and powers that are difficult to explain. You will experience contempt, you will experience rejection, and you will experience feelings of loneliness and lowliness. Being confronted with such adversaries, especially when it feels like defeat is imminent, it won't just affect you intellectually. It affects you emotionally. Your bones ache. Your heart hurts. It's hard to sleep. It sometimes feels like you do not have friends to come alongside you. In such a moment, God's people not only surrender control, we surrender feelings of despair. Feelings of anxiety, feelings of anguish, how we feel deep in our bones when confronting a challenging enemy. So God's people do not surrender to any enemy. We surrender to the Lord. 
Now let's spend some time reflecting on how we surrender. Let me read verses 5 and 6. Into your hand I entrust my spirit. You have redeemed me, Lord, God of truth. I hate those who are devoted to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. So the language the psalmist here is, is expressing, it involves an intentional decision, meaning that surrender takes intentionality. You won't wake up and just automatically surrender. If any of you have personally taken part of or been close to anyone who has taken part in a 12-step recovery program, you know the first step is surrender. Surrender requires intention. I believe it's worded this way. You need to admit you are powerless over alcohol, that your life has become unmanageable. This intentional decision is not surrendering to an enemy. It is not surrendering to alcoholism. It is surrendering to the point that you're going to be honest, that you've become addicted or enslaved. Willful surrender is recognizing, I need help. I cannot conquer or win or be victorious in and of myself. Even if you're not a Christian, I think you can see the value of an intentional decision to surrender. The question is, who are you surrendering to? The the psalmist is describing an intentional decision not to trust in the work of his or her hands. The psalmist is not trusting in self. Rather, the psalmist is deciding to trust in the works of the hands of the Lord. That intentional decision beyond not trusting in self also means rejecting, not trusting in what the psalmist labels worthless idols. That word hate, it has something to do with feelings of frustration toward others, but it has more to do with rejecting how others live. Those others, they do not trust in the Lord. They do not surrender to Him. Instead, they are seeking to find refuge. They are surrendering to something other than the Lord. The psalmist rejects such a disposition. So what are some idols that that people tend to look to? What do they worship today when facing enemies? We typically don't see people worship statues, but they certainly worship other things. Here's how Pastor Tim Keller describes idolatry today. What is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. So if what people worship is comfort, if comfort is their God, when they encounter stressful situations, when they encounter powerful enemies, they will pursue pleasure. They will escape to food or sex or entertainment or perhaps to harmful substances. They will avoid pain at all costs. If what they worship, if their God is control, when they encounter stressful situations, when they encounter powerful enemies, they will look to strategize. They will look to plan. They will prepare. They may pray as a way to manipulate God, to try to control Him, 
but they do not pray a prayer of surrender. If their God is power, if that is what they worship, when facing challenging situations, some will look to grasp power. They may place their hope in political power. They may twist their words. When we worship things like security or comfort or power or pleasure, when they are sufficiently available, then the state of our soul is stable. But when they are not available, we are unstable. We are unable to surrender things like anguish and anxiety. Now, the psalmist certainly expresses such emotion, emotion, so not all experiences of anxiety and anguish are bad, but, but the one who trusts in the Lord, they're able to surrender such emotion. The, those emotions do not define him or her. They are not the powerful disposition in their lives. When you adopt a disposition, God's people do not surrender to any enemy, but surrender to the Lord. That will lead you to reject and repent. Because today, when many encounter challenging adversaries, situations that perplex, rather than reach out and surrender to the Lord, we reach out for our smartphones. We think it has the power to deliver us from any enemy. It is a great resource at our disposal. I'm not anti-iPhone. But how we look to it, how we look to our Google searches and WebMD searches, how we use it to escape and find comfort, many of us need to repent and reject. God's people do not surrender to any enemy, but surrender to the Lord. So this intentional decision to surrender to the Lord, it involves rejecting and repenting. And part of it Part of this intentional decision is also rooted in reflecting on how God has been faithful in the past. In verses 7 and 8, the psalmist says this, I will rejoice and be glad in your faithful love because you have seen my affliction. You know the troubles of my soul and have not handed me over to the enemy. You have set my feet in a spacious place. So there's a song we sing as a church where we look back at God's faithfulness called the goodness of God. The lyrics state, In all of my life, you have been faithful. In all of my life, you have been so, so good. As we look back at the course of our life, we will be amazed at some of the things the Lord has delivered us from. I consider some of the sins that had become generational in nature on my side of the family, on my wife's side, sins of passivity, sins of bitterness and resentment, sins of looking down on others, and I can see how the hand of the Lord has worked to break patterns. I think back to challenges I've had in ministry or in the workplace, conflict with others, others expressing frustration towards me. I hate conflict. I struggle with public speaking. I find it really challenging to bring concerns before others, and yet repeatedly these are the situations the Lord has placed me in, to, to grow in courage and confidence in Him. 
I see his past work in my life and in my heart, and I know I can surrender to him in the future. My life has certainly not been perfect, but he has been present and he has been powerful. How we have experienced God's blessing in the past forms how we surrender to the Lord today. The psalmist knows God has defeated his enemies. Confidence in God's character is rooted in understanding how he has been faithful in the past, how he was faithful to to deliver his people and, and rescue them from powerful enemies. God's people know if that is true, if God has defeated his enemies in the past, we do not need to fear adversaries in the present. We do not need to surrender to enemy, any enemy we encounter today. Now that language, into your hand I entrust my spirit, it may be familiar to many of you. Because these are words that are expressed by our Savior Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross. Jesus would have been familiar with Psalm 31. He would have learned it as a child. He would have sung it as he gathered with God's people. And in the moment of his greatest trial, in the moment he faced the greatest enemy, rather than surrender to any enemy, he surrendered to the Lord. Listen to the Gospel of Luke. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three, because the sun's light failed. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last, rather than surrender to any enemy rather than surrender to Satan or to death or to the people who persecuted and abandoned him, Jesus surrendered to his heavenly Father. Our Savior, he did not trust in self, his power and his ability, but rather the power and ability of his heavenly Father. And Jesus took on the attack of the enemy, all the guilt, all the shame, the enemy of death. He did not surrender to any enemy, but he surrendered to the Lord. Because of his faithfulness to defeat his enemies, we can trust him to defeat the enemies we face today. If you're with us this morning, on the live stream, listening later, present in the room, if you do not trust in Christ, who are you trusting to defeat your enemies? Are you trusting in self Or do you see a Savior who took on your enemies? The enemies of sin and death. The enemies of guilt. The enemies of shame and sorrow. He took them on. He did not surrender to them. And he won victory for you. What does it look like for you to surrender to him? So the psalmist shows us how surrender involves intentionality, a sense of deliberate decision-making, and it involves us looking back at God's faithfulness. The other aspect of how we surrender, how we move in that direction, involves us trusting in God's promises for the future. Here's verses 14 through 16. But I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. The course of my life is in your power. 
Rescue me from the power of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant and save me by your faithful love. So the the psalmist is appealing to God's covenant to be fulfilled in the future. He's saying, you have promised to be faithful to your covenant. Remember that. Remember me. I'm part of your covenant people. As he appeals to God's covenant, he, he references a blessing that is frequently proclaimed over God's people. We sometimes sing this blessing. It is sometimes proclaimed over us as we depart on Sunday mornings. Make your face shine on your servant. It is referencing words given to Moses in Numbers 6. These were words for the priests of Aaron to consistently pray a blessing over God's people. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. This is a blessing that affirms God's will is to bless his people, to protect them, to be present with them, and to give them peace. The language, the Lord make your face shine on your servant, is returning to something mentioned last week in Psalm 30. Experiencing God's favor. His face expresses welcome. His face expresses how he loves you Knowing the Lord's face is shining on you, you understand how much God delights in you as one of his people. When we receive that blessing, it's not just some ritualistic language. We receive it and believe that the Lord wants to bless his people. You believe the Lord wants to and will bless you So no enemy, no matter how challenging or fierce, will take away that blessing. God, remember the blessing you've spoken over your people. Because of your promises, I surrender to you. God's people do not surrender to any enemy, but surrender to the Lord. When we surrender to the Lord, it changes the way we relate to powerful enemies and challenging scenarios. When the situation is dark and dire, we keep fighting. Rather than seeing those situations as a source of defeat, we see how God uses them to grow us. We will not surrender to any enemy. Listen to Pastor John Piper. There is so much pain, so many setbacks and discouragements, so many controversies and pressures. I do not know where I would turn in in the ministry if I did not believe that Almighty God is taking every setback and every discouragement and every controversy and every pressure and every pain and stripping it of its destructive power and making it work for the enlargement of my joy in God. God's people do not surrender to any enemy, but surrender to the Lord. We trust in his faithfulness in the past and his promises for the future. So as we conclude, 
I want to consider very briefly how this, this disposition of surrendering, how it changes the way we live day to day. When your eyes are focused on the strength of your enemy, when you are gazing at your adversaries, you will be prone to withdraw. You will tend to become a coward. You will be afraid to take risks. But when you are focused on the strength of the Lord, you will be free to be bold. You will be empowered to experience firmness and fortitude. You will not be shaken when encountering the accusations of others or the devastation of disease and disability, even when situations seem dark and it seems like you are defeated. So the psalmist concludes this way, Love the Lord, all his faithful ones. The Lord protects the loyal, but fully repays the arrogant. Be strong and let your heart be courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord. When you trust God, when you surrender to him, you will be freed to live a particular way. You will be empowered to be strong. You will experience great courage and freedom. Listen to author Kevin DeYoung as he describes how God's people relate to uncertainty in the future. We should stop looking for God to reveal the future to us and remove all risk from our lives. We should start looking at God, his character, and his promises, and thereby have confidence to take risks for his name's sake. For some, this means trusting God enough to let money slip through your fingers. Not so you can build your own kingdom, but so you can be generous with God's kingdom. For others, it means holding fast to the word of God in some difficult circumstances or unpopular situation. For others, it means cross-cultural missions or more evangelism or a new dream or a confession of sin or confrontation of sin or new vulnerability in a relationship. What adversaries are you encountering that you may have surrendered to? As you continue to encounter that enemy, what would it look like for you to surrender to the Lord? When you don't surrender to any enemy, but surrender to the Lord, it doesn't mean you give up. You are surrendering to the right who. So it doesn't mean you stop. In fact, it may mean stepping into one of your greatest victories, having confidence in the character of the Lord, recognizing his past work of redemption and his promises for the future. It frees us to be strong and courageous. There is not a certainty of how a particular situation will play out, but there is a trust in the strength and the power of the Lord. You are free to take risk. If you were to walk in greater surrender to the Lord when facing challenging enemies, how would you live differently? Rather than surrender to any enemy, God's people surrender to the Lord. We put our hope in him, we trust his past work, and we trust his promises for the future. As we do, we are empowered to be strong, we are enabled to have hearts that are courageous. May we live out that type of life. Let's pray.